On this episode, Under the Hood gets into Texans' obsession with speeding, BMW is lying to you about horsepower, and the RSX Type S is back. Then we will wrap up with my trophy chase with Beamer Challenge and how that event went. But let's start the show. Welcome to 91 Octane. I am John, and let's go right under the hood. Everything is bigger in Texas, including speed. Texas has published its biggest speeders of 2022. And Texas actually has the highest speed limit in the nation with 85. I mean, it's a pretty big state. There's a lot of open roads. Definitely lends itself to speeding. But some of these numbers are ridiculous. And the list actually has, I think it was like 200 um, of the top speeders. Uh, I'm not going to go through all 200, but I'll link uh, the story so you can take a look. But I did want to touch on the top 13. And I included the top 13 because uh, originally I wanted to do 10. And then number 13, which is the one we're going to start with, is probably the one that's most shocking for me. So this speeder was going 141 miles per hour in an 80-mile-per-hour zone. Uh, This is at 10 p.m. in a 2020 Ford F-150. That's wild. Um I mean, you're definitely risking it with going 140 miles in a Ford F-150. Honestly, I didn't even know they could get that fast, to be honest. Um, maybe it was a Raptor. Uh, they don't really specify here. Uh, it mentions that the traffic was light, um, but they did catch them going 140 miles, 141 miles per hour at number 13. So this is actually where we're starting. We're starting at 141 miles per hour, and this gets crazy. And you'll also notice a recurring theme as I go through this list. So at number 12, at 142 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone, uh, that's over double now the speed limit, a 2020 Dodge Challenger. And traffic was considered moderate at the time, and this happened at 11.37 p.m., so... At nearly midnight, uh, Dodge Challenger felt the need to go 142 miles per hour in a 70 mile per hour zone. Um, again, I mean, I'm I'm surprised to hear these numbers. I guess I shouldn't be their V8s, but um, I mean, that's just, it takes a I I would imagine it takes a while for those cars to get up to 142. I don't think it. Well, maybe maybe not. Um, I mean, they're pretty heavy. But it's hard to imagine. I mean, it, I, I've been in a Challenger before. We had a Challenger in this house for a little while before it got sold recently. And, I mean, even just regular speed doesn't feel comfortable in that car. It's a boat. But 142 miles per hour were, were achieved on the roads of Texas. Now, in a 55-mile-per-hour zone, and 55 includes, like, streets, I think. I mean, there's streets out here that have 50, 55-mile-per-hour um speed limits and this car was doing 143 so if i were to imagine you know you're doing 143 i don't know uh 
let's say let's use Irvine for example. They have a lot of fifty mile per hour streets. Uh, but like down campus drive by UCI, you're doing 143. That's insane. And this guy was in a 2008 Infinity G37. So he was definitely vaping while he was going uh, 143 miles per hour, um, which is nuts. Again, uh, and at a 2008 Infinity G37, um, what are the chances it's also like static, lowered? And cambered uh, to the moon. I mean, the chances are pretty high, I'd say. And that was at number 11. Now, moving on to the top 10 in the list. Again, a Dodge. This time, a Dodge Charger going 143 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone. Traffic was light. This was at 10 a.m. Again, I mean, these are... I mean, I I have to imagine these are peak speeds. I don't know much about these cars, um, but I you know, hitting the 140s. I mean, you're flooring it for a good while. Man, that's so sketchy. At number nine, a Porsche Boxster, a 2023 Porsche Boxster in moderate traffic at 7 p.m. That seems very very early to be hitting triple d triple digit speeds on the highway. Um, I don't know how much traffic they have out there, but that's pretty insane, Mr. Porsche Boxster guy. Uh, 144, though, I know a Porsche Boxster can do that easily. Now, this one's for the Striker boys. It might have been them, actually. Maybe they took a trip to Texas recently. 145 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone, a 2007 BMW 335i. And those cars can very easily make power um and doesn't it take too much so i'd say 145 is perfectly capable we know the striker guys did 169.9 uh in theirs in their half mile car so we know they can get up there uh, but this one's on the streets of texas i mean it's i mean this is, there's no way this is drag racing right you don't need to hit this speeds these speeds with drag racing i mean these guys are really just Going out for some fun in Texas. Moving on to number seven. Mercedes has entered the chat. A Mercedes-Benz C-Class from 2019 at 1 in the morning went 145 miles per hour in a 60-mile-per-hour zone. Uh, traffic was light. Um, the vehicle was apparently in the middle lane and almost collided with another vehicle that was in the middle lane as well. So they, they almost didn't stop in time, and the cops saw it all. I wonder if they saw the cop coming up. I mean, 145 miles per hour, by the time you see the police officer, it's too late. Definitely too late. Unless you've got, like, some radar or something that's telling you that's coming up, there's no way. Uh, you're just going to have to keep flooring it and go right through and hope for the best. But I think most cop cars now can do these speeds pretty easily, especially out here. Uh, I don't know about Texas, but in California, police love their car chases. Now we're going back to Infinity, this time a G35. So the, uh, I guess the predecessor to the G37. Um, 147 miles per hour in a 75 mile per hour zone. This was at 10 in the morning. They must have been late for work. That's like the only explanation. 10 a.m., like, oh, man, I woke up an hour late. I got to get to work. My shift started at 9. Uh, I got to Zoom. So I'm going to go 147 miles per hour and 65. Oh, actually, no, 
100, yeah, 147 and a 75. And while traffic is moderate, put everyone and myself at risk. This is crazy. 10 a.m. I mean, I have to imagine there's not much there. And this is at the, uh, it says the I-635 Express Tunnel in Dallas County, which is a major county. Um, uh, Yeah, this, this sounds dangerous. Traffic is described as moderate, so there were definitely cars there. Now we're rounding out with the top five, 147 in a 65 mile per hour zone. The 2022 Chevy Corvette has made its appearance and it makes its appearance at number four and number five. At number four, 148 miles per hour in another 55 mile per hour zone. Again, a Chevy Corvette. Both are described with light traffic, um, and but one is at 7.30 p.m., which would sound like rush hour out here. The other one happened at in the middle of the day. Man, you guys in Texas, man, like you guys are getting down at all hours. I mean, out here, most like like the freaks come out at night, I think, out here for the most part. You don't really see a lot of speeding going on in the daytime, at least from what my experience. But you'll see it more at night here. We're finding out like it's the whole day. It's like you guys are just taking shifts out there. Hitting triple digit speeds. Um, you know, stay safe, I guess. Have fun, but you know, stay safe. And on top of being a number five and a number four, at number three, again, a Chevy Corvette. Man, those Corvette owners always, always uh messing around. They'll come up in uh, later in the episode as well. This Corvette did 150 miles per hour in a 70 mile per hour zone. Traffic is described at light, and it happened at 10 p.m. A little later, that's when I would expect something like this to go down. But 150 miles per hour, he wins the Corvette game. Now, go with the number two spot, going back to Dodge. And the number one spot, also going back to Dodge. Both chargers, the number two spot, 150 miles per hour in a 75-mile-per-hour zone at 10 p.m., Traffic is described as moderate. I mean, it's about, you know, what the rest of the list is doing. Now, at number one, we take a giant leap forward, enormous leap forward for what is probably a record for the I-10 in Gonzalez County, 201 miles per hour in a 75-mile-per-hour zone in a 2018 Dodge Charger. 201 miles per hour. I mean, this car had to be, it has to be, I don't know, like 40 grand invested into it just to get it to be able to do that. Um, I mean, to break 200 miles per hour, that takes a lot of work. So, I mean, this, it's likely this charger was like supercharged and Modded to the gills, built motor, everything. And they were just going on a test run because 201 mile per hour, that's a 51 mile per hour jump from the second place winner. That's insane. Um, I, I wouldn't even know. Very few people in the world, I think, know what that feels like to go 200 miles per hour. Very, very, very few people. Very few people know even the speeds described at number 13, 141. But 201 miles per hour, yeah, man, that's uh, clearly a death wish. Clearly a death wish. But 
I'd be curious to find the data for California, see how you know this state stacks up to Texas, but Texas seems to be the only one who has published them so far. Uh, and these speeds are alleged, I guess, because they could fight them, but most of them are being checked by radar, so they're validated. Um, they just, I guess they're alleged until they're proven guilty of doing it in case they challenged it. But that's insane. So Texas gets down, just, uh, you know, stay safe out there. Maybe, you know, do the just late night thing or maybe just go to a track. I think that's probably a better option. I don't think that we need to be doing this, uh, on the streets, but you know, I'll stop being an old man, you know, every once in a while, just, you know, 10 PM maybe 11 11 to 2 3 i don't know people out here used to always talk about the shift change time i don't know if um you any of you listeners experienced this growing up but i mean young, when you're i guess graduating high school you would hear a lot like in the driving circles oh you know there's a shift change at like 4 a.m and that's when there's like the fewest cops uh on the street so you can go you know have some fun I think that's all BS. I don't think that was real. I mean, there are obviously shift changes, but I mean, they account. It's not like, you know, all the police come off the streets and then another team goes out like all at once. So I think that's BS. Uh, but still, you know, I think uh, keeping it late so we keep people safe is probably a better idea. I am curious now, though. I do want to go 201 miles per hour. That'd be nice to experience. I would want to do it safely. I don't know that you can do 200 miles per hour safely. I mean, as safe as you can. That's probably the better statement to use. As safe as you can. Because there's no way. I mean, you're one small mistake and uh, you're dust. You're It's over for you. You're completely vaporized. I guess that's the good thing, though, that if you do go, it is there's a high probability that it'll be completely painless. This has gotten a little morbid, so let's move into our next headline. To literally no one's surprise, BMW has once again underrated its horsepower numbers. The G87 M2 makes more power to the wheels than the than BMW claims at the crank. And this was the case with the with the G80 and the G82, um, M3 and M4s, um, as soon as they dynoed them, they came in at essentially the crank numbers were the wheel numbers. And I'm I'm honestly not sure why BMW is underestimating it. I don't know. I don't I don't get how their what their incentive is to do that. Maybe maybe it's a marketing thing, like they don't want it to have you know, to beat out the uh the G eighty, but then that one's also underrated. Why don't they just use all the real numbers and then they're fine? Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's it's a little weird, but IND Distribution put a new M2 on a dyno, and the best of three runs showed 464 horsepower and 412 pound-feet of torque, and that's at the wheels. BMW rates the M2 at 453 horsepower and 403 uh, foot-pounds of torque at the crank. That means the wheel numbers are higher than BMW's crank numbers. And IND Distribution goes on to say that if you factor the 15% drivetrain loss, uh, the actual crank output would be 547 horsepower and 486 pound-feet of torque. That's insane. That is absolutely bonkers. Um, it's awesome 
It's uh, great for BMW. It's great for G87 M2 owners, except for the fact that it's severely limited by its looks. And yeah, I just I can't get over it. I've I still have issues with the G80 um, with the buck teeth. And, you know, I'm, I'm still like, mm, I don't know. I've seen I've, I've seen some of them look good. Some of them with some aftermarket parts. Um, I'm seeing some like bumper modifications that look good. But, you know, I'm still like, mm, I don't know. And I really, really wanted the M2 because, um, as we've discussed a long time ago, it is the first Latino M2 built in Mexico. So I was like, cool, this, this would be a good option. But I cannot get over how boxy it is. It's literally no different than when it had the camouflage on. Usually, camouflage makes cars look boxy. Once the camouflage comes off, you can see all the all the lines, all the roundness, all the, all the beauty, right? This time, it literally just looks like they spray-painted over the camouflage. And that's the shape they decided to go with. And it's just not working for me. Another thing is that it weighs 3,900 pounds. That's more than the G80 M3. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I know they're like using like shared parts in order to save cost and whatnot, and I know that's that's what's mainly causing this weight increase. But it doesn't make sense to me that the smaller car is 200 pounds heavier. I, like I I need to look at both. Like what's the difference? What what would the M2 have? that the uh m3 doesn't i mean it has two less doors like how is that even possible maybe it's the material they use to keep it cheaper i guess to keep it in a good price point that's likely it um but man what a porker 3900 pounds i think you're gonna it's, that's why you need the 547 crank horsepower because of the 3900 pounds I wonder if you'll be able to take weight out of the car fairly easily. Who knows what it is? I mean, it's it's likely something big. Uh, I don't. How do you gain two hundred pounds? Um, that's a lot. I don't know what it is, but I will definitely keep an eye out to what the differences are. I mean, somebody eventually is going to start working on making a race car, and we'll see how low it can actually get in weight. But to hear that it weighs more than a car that looks bigger just doesn't really compute. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, it is disappointing. I think these numbers do make it more appealing. The idea of getting something like this out of the box, that's going to give you nearly, um, I mean, I'm rounding up, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm I don't know. I can't think of the word, but you are uh, essentially at a 600 horsepower car at the crank pretty easily. I would say like you could do some, I would, you could probably get away with, well, you can't get away with tuning in California anymore, but you could get away with the tune and easily be over the 600 horsepower mark. And it wouldn't cost you much more. I don't think it would cost you anything in parts, really. It would just, you know, be the the tuning modifications, and you're good to go. And that's awesome. I mean, it's crazy that we've gotten to this point where you know we're getting these astronomical horsepower numbers, 
But it's pretty cool it's available, and it does make the M2 more appealing, but I think it, it still doesn't take me over the hump. Now, I would say, I, what I do think, though, is that the M2 platform, the G87 M2, although it looks how it looks now, I think it does have more potential for aftermarket to take care of those changes. I think the 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 shape that it has currently does lend itself more to modifications. I believe I'm not a designer. I'm literally talking out of my ass here, but uh, just based on my experience, like the the G80, uh, G82, the the lines are a little more aggressive. The front bumpers, it's just got a lot going on. There really isn't a lot of modifications that you're going to implement on that car, and really change it too much, right? Like the you're it's essentially the car is at like volume 20 and your modifications are really just tweaking one or two uh, points on the volume, uh, two levels on the volume. Whereas with the M2, it's I think it's a little more tame. The styling is not as wild. Therefore, if you are adding, you know, canards and splitters and, and front lips and uh, diffusers or whatever it may be, it could actually change the car a little more. I don't think we're there yet in terms of the aftermarket. I don't believe there's that much support for it. I mean, I, like two weeks ago, I was a B, at a BMW dealership and I asked if they had one in stock and they said they still hadn't received it and that every dealer was only getting one, which means there aren't making a lot of them, uh, which likely means there isn't a big market for parts currently. Um and or they're just being designed now, but I do think it has more potential for that. But uh, I mean, unless I figure out how to design these things on my own, I wouldn't feel comfortable paying you know seventy grand, probably more than that, because the salesman also said to me, um, "You might as well just get a an M three because the M two is going to have a markup and is going to cost more than just getting an M three, which." Of course, uh, I'm, I'm getting a lighter car and paying a lot less. Why, why would I do any different? I think that it just makes sense. It makes absolute sense. But BMW has underrated their numbers, and they continue to. I think they always have, uh, which is good. I mean, even my E36, which is rated at 240, um, I currently dynoed it. I dynoed it maybe eight months ago, um, and it was at 235, I think 236 peak, which, I mean, for a car with 160,000 miles on it, to do 236 wheel horsepower when it's rated 240, they've been doing this for ages. I just don't get why. What's the point? If some of you know, like one of you knows, when you're listening right now, know why they do it, please let me know. Uh, you know, hit us up on email info at 91 octane or DM us on Instagram at 91 octane. Cause I'm, I'm very curious. What's the, the purpose here? What do they not want us to know? Into our last headline of the day, the RSX type S is back and Acura is calling it an Integra. Acura unveiled the production version of the Integra Type S at the Long Beach Grand Prix this past weekend. And the Type S, we already knew, took the Honda Civic Type R's turbocharged 2-liter inline 4. And it's rated at 320 horsepower and 310 pound-feet of torque. 
It has an extra 5 horsepower than the Civic, and Acura claims that it's due to Integra's unique exhaust system. I wonder what's unique about it, because when they were showing the videos, it, it shows the three the three exits like the Civic Type R has. I mean, they use different cats. I don't know. I mean, five horsepower, though, it's like, it's negligible. I mean, it's really just, I think they just wanted to beat out the Civic Type R, and so they were like, oh, let's do five. And also, it is 30 pounds heavier than the Civic Type R, so it's likely they're pretty equal on the asphalt despite despite the five horsepower. Um I don't know that Acura uh, or Honda are known to under, at least not anymore, not after the gentleman's agreement. They're not uh, known to underrate their horsepower numbers, so it's likely that this is what it's going to hit. Um, I wish it would have been a little more, maybe 15, maybe 20, I think would have been more serious. Um, I don't know why they didn't go more than five. Five seems almost negligible, but... I mean, they're claiming it's due to some unique thing they did with the exhaust. I'm curious what what it is, and I'm curious why they didn't say what it is instead of just saying, oh, unique exhaust system, like, oh, we did this, this, and that, and that's what, I don't know, maybe it's a secret. It can't be a secret, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to find out. Uh, I know exhaust could give you five, um, but I mean, with emission systems... I don't know that you would want to tweak that much, or at least an OEM would want to tweak that much. It only comes in a six-speed manual, and LSD is standard. It has a wider front and rear track, and it has a dual-axis front suspension setup from the Civic Type R. There are adaptive dampers available, but this is only on the A-Spec model. So, you know, looking at the car, um, I haven't seen it in person yet. Uh, because of my track day, I wasn't able to go to the Long Beach Grand Prix. But I've seen pictures and, you know, pictures at the event and the pictures that Acura released. And it actually looks pretty nice. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a bad look. Um, I, I still don't feel, it doesn't feel like an Integra to me. It feels like a cool sports car, but it just doesn't feel like an Integra to me. Um... But, I mean, at 320 horsepower, it's, it's a funny little car. Definitely, definitely a fun car. Uh, I don't have any weight specs for it, but I do have dollar specs. And it's estimated, you know, that it's going to land somewhere in the $50,000 range. And at $50,000, there are so many other cars I'd much rather be in. Uh, a, a Dark Horse Mustang, even. Uh, a Supra. Um, you know, might even stretch it a little bit and go an M3. I know we're putting more money on that, but it's just at the $50,000 segment, I think there's a little too much competition for this car to do well. I don't know how much they're expecting to sell, how many they're expected to sell, but at 50,000, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It It is cool. I do like what they did with it. It is definitely better than the base model they released last year. But uh, I don't know if what they did puts it over the edge. And it could be that that's just what cars cost nowadays, $50,000. And I'm just thinking like, okay, I haven't caught up with inflation yet. But yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, a, I would even consider a uh, AZ uh, before I went with the Acura. Um, yeah, $50,000 just seems like too much for that car. 
I feel like it, it would make more sense at 40, like 38 to 40 range. Like right there is probably where it would make more sense to me. But I guess not. Um, and I think it's, I I guess it should be more expensive than the Civic Type R. It's supposed to be the luxury brand. But I don't know. I don't know that I put it above that car at all. Uh, it just doesn't seem like a sound financial decision to charge $50,000 for these Acuras. But I could be wrong. I mean, it's up to every, anyone's preference. I mean, there are people out there who think maybe it's not that much money uh, for the car because they really like the car or they have a lot of money. But because they really like the car, um, they think what it can offer them is worth the 50000 I personally just don't. And it's being marketed as a Type R for grown-ups. And I get that to a degree, but I honestly felt like this new Civic Type R is the Type R for grown-ups. Like the first generation of the Civic Type R that came back to the that came back to the US, um, that one looked like a Gundam. Uh that one was definitely for a younger crowd, it seemed, right? That's sort of that would be the stereotype. Whereas this new one, it's a lot more tame in that regard and there's a little more grown-up type bar. I guess you can say that the way that this car looks, it's more of like an executive car than a Civic might be, but I, I don't know that I put them too far apart in that regard. I think uh I don't know, maybe, maybe I just I'm not a I've always grown up with sort of Acura and Honda being the same almost. So I don't really put a lot of separation between Honda cars and Acura cars. But I could be wrong about the difference. I mean, it could be way more and I just I'm not aware of it. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with the type R for grown ups marketing that's going on. Um it's It's a cool sports car. It's a cool performance car. I think it's just different. Uh, it doesn't have the same allure that the Civic Type R does, um, the same pedigree, the same name. The Type S moniker isn't, you know, driving people to dealerships. But um, but it's cool. You know, it's cool that these options are still coming out on the market. So I can appreciate that for sure. Um, the car is nice. I'm curious how it will perform. I imagine it's going to perform very similarly to the Civic Type R, um, but I'm still curious to see it, see what it does. Um, I do want to see one in person and see how big they are, because um, they look pretty big in the uh, in the pictures. But I remember seeing the base model uh, at SEMA, and they looked a lot smaller. Um, so I'm curious with the wider track what it's going to look like um, in person. Will I buy one? Probably not. I actually don't need another car or I'm just going to need a new garage. It's going to be one or the other, but yeah, I don't, definitely don't need another car. I'm still hoping that the M2 grows on me, although that's unlikely to happen. Um, but I had, I have been wanting to go back to you know J, the JDM world. So maybe one day in the future I get into one of these Integra Type S's um, and see what that life is like for a little while. I mean, a lot of these cars are super comfortable now. Uh, so it's cool. I've also been considering like what my next track car would be. Not that it would be the Integra, but I have been considering that like if like if something happened to the M3, 
um, and I had to replace it for whatever reason, what would I replace it with? Would I stick with the chassis? Would I move on to something newer? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Um, or would I go with like a Civic Type R, sort of an out-of-the-box track car? I think that might make that might be a better decision. Really just have to like install safety stuff into an out-of-the-box track car instead of you know working on modifying this and modifying that and suspension here, suspension there. Just get a car that's going to reliably drive me how I need it to drive me uh, at the track. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, this is, I mean, you're always dreaming about the next car. Like, I just bought a car, and I'm already talking about... I don't have even lost the E36. There's no, no indication that the car is... Knock on wood, um, that the car isn't going to, you know, hang around for a little while. And I'm already looking at, like, oh, what's my next track car going to be? It's ridiculous, man. This hobby is rough. It's rough on your wallet. Super, super super rough but now let's wrap up with our last segment chasing beamer challenge <laughs> that is so stupid but i'm gonna keep doing it um so uh this past weekend was round four of beamer challenge which is actually my second event i had to miss uh two other events with Beamer Challenge due to prior commitments. So although this is round four of Beamer Challenge, this is my second event. And I cannot miss any events from here on out because they have uh, 11 events um, a year and they count your top nine. And since I've already missed two, that's it. I have to, in order to maximize my pointage, I have to make sure I go to every event from here on out, which is cool because they're all pretty much in Bunton Willow, Streets of Willow, and Chuck Walla from here on out. Um, so I, I think uh, uh, I think we're good in that regard. I uh, just got to make sure that the car stays in tip-top shape. This event was at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway at the outside road course, which is a little outside of the actual stadium um, out there. It's massive. Um it, it it very much feels like a campus. Uh, like it was the GPS did a really good job of taking me where I needed to go. But if I didn't have GPS, I would have had a hard time, I think, finding that track. Um, so that was cool. And it was uh, slated to be 87 degrees that day in the Vegas hot Vegas sun, and the skies were clear. So it looked like a pretty good day. Now um, I did do some prep to the car uh, and and you know, ahead of the event to make sure I maximized my performance. I suspected my that my alignment was out of spec, and this was at the snow day earlier this year, and I was completely right. So my rear was towed out an eighth an inch, which is horrible. My camber on the rear passenger side was 1.8, and on the driver's side was 3. I don't know. I mean, that's a big difference, and nothing was damaged back there, so... I'm very curious if where I did my alignment previously mistakenly left this this way. Um, and I, you know, I calibrated the gauge. I tested the gauge out multiple times um, and it was it was fine. So definitely I had to make some adjustments. Now, I did correct the toe and left it at an eighth inch toe in in the rear and in the front. I zeroed it out completely. 
Um, the front did have 3.5, 3.6 degrees of camber. And I took out uh, essentially the 0.6. Um, and in the rear, I took off uh, 0.5 essentially with, with the three. So I left it at 2.5 in the rear and three in the front. Um, with the thought being that since Vegas had two essentially high speed straights, if I took out a little camber, I could get more speed through there. Since I'm not running, running a wing anymore, I have less drag. I was trying to maximize my straight line speed, uh, during those high speed straights. Cause you know, I figured that'd be easy time. And I also put on the Maxxis RC1s. I should have bought a new set. These are on their sixth event. At least if I'm looking to make if I'm looking for to make times, I should probably be on better tires. So I think it's it's a sixth event is okay. I think by this time they've fallen off. They don't fall off too much. They fall off a little bit and then just kind of stay there for a while. But, um, yeah, the sixth event already in the Vegas hot sun, it wasn't too favorable. And I replaced the bumper and put on a front splitter. Again, uh, the idea being that I wanted to, in, wanted to make the car light in the rear so I could turn it better. Right? A little more downforce in the front um, would actually cause me to get a little lighter in the rear and help me rotate easier. Um, as well. So th those were the small things I did to prepare the car. Now for me, it was a little hard because usually what I do is I, I find the track on the sim, whatever it may be. Usually it's a Seto, um, and find some mod that has a track and then practice it, you know, for weeks prior to the event. I could not find a track on a sim. I don't know if, if any of you guys know that if it's on there, cause it'd be cool. It'd be cool to practice that. But I couldn't find it. So I just literally YouTube like everything that I could. I must have watched like, I don't know, in the two weeks leading up to it, I must have watched, I don't know, hours and hours. I mean, we we were watching TV with the with the wifey and I'd be just watching footage, just, you know, seeing like what speeds that they're going in, trying to look for all the videos that have speedometers displayed. So I know how fast they're going, trying to find laps by, you know, guys that are running E36 M3s, which is never hard. Uh, there's no shortage of videos of E36s running on tracks. So that does help a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's never exactly the same. Um, but, you know, it's really the only thing I could do to prepare. I also printed track maps and I notated apexes, breaking points. I notated shifting points um, and like. It was, it was very helpful. Um, I also did a lot of visualization exercises. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to memorize the track from videos, but I found that it's actually very hard to do. It's it's sort of hard to, I think cameras. It, it's hard to visualize perspective in the way that you're looking at these videos, I think if it was more like a 3D uh, or a virtual reality situation, I think it might be a little better. Uh, but in this regard, I don't know, the track seemed a lot bigger to me um, in the videos. And then when I got there, it was actually a lot smaller. 
or it looked like a lot smaller. It was a very deceiving track, too. Very, very deceiving track. So we finally get to the big day. Um, you know, I've I've prepared as much as I could. Uh, I brought all my track maps and I got my Garmin going to make sure I'm, I'm watching the YouTube videos again. I, uh, and then I, you know, try to go to sleep. And as always, I just cannot go to sleep before track days. I'm too anxious. It's, it's, a, it's the worst. I need to figure out how to fix that because I do need to get sleep. And I made another mistake. I decided not to stay out in Vegas um, because I wasn't going to go for the full weekend. Because this, this event actually ran Saturday and Sunday. Um, and I was just going to originally was going to head out Saturday, stay at a hotel and wake up nice and fresh on Sunday to run. But I decided, you know what? It's not that much farther than going to Button Willow. I'm just going to I'm just going to go in the morning like that's fine. And that was rough. What a mistake that was. I left at 2 a.m. for a four hour trip to get there at 6. I got there like at 6.30 cause passed by for food and such. But uh, I was tired. I was. I had that, like, uh, I don't know if you guys get it, like your eyes like start burning, like when you have lack of sleep. They just feel like really dry. Um, that's sort of what I had, and I started getting a headache. Um, but, you know, I was still excited for the day, so it was going to be fine. I'm still going to run my sessions. I was still, I was feeling tired, but I was still feeling very, very anxious. So uh, I go out of my first session at 9 a.m. The tires, uh, they took a long time to heat up, surprisingly. I mean, in that first session, it was still pretty cold. I think it was like 60, 65 degrees at that time, warming up to 70 a bit. So it wasn't super hot yet. You know, the ground is still warming up. Uh, the tarmac is still warming up. And even then, though, once I... I felt the tires heat up. I was feeling way more understeer than I was used to. And I, I, I like to drive with understeer, like favoring understeer um, in cars. I started in a front-wheel drive car. Um, it's also safer. Um, but this was, it just was a lot. I felt like it was slowing me down way, way too much. And, um, but, I, you know, I just plowed forward and executed my plan you know, the visualization stuff helped. Knowing, you know, what gear I needed to be in helped. Um, but I wasn't really feeling good about my speed and how fast I was going. And the Garmin showed it. I did a 212, which left me in fourth place. And that is just not a position I'm used to being in. I think so far, pretty much every organization I've run... Um, time trials I've done well in not that you know not to toot my own horn but literally that's what I'm doing um you know I, I win I even you know first or second place is usually where I land um and so this uh was completely different I wasn't even podiuming and that's after my first session I was I couldn't believe it I honestly was shooting for like a I was shooting for like a 205 based on what, what I was seeing like on YouTube videos and, and sort of the track and, and thinking what I would be doing. Uh, but 212 just seemed way, way off. And so I'm looking at my footage and I can see some places where I can I can maintain more speed, you know, break a little later or 
hold more speed on some of these turns. So I'm like, okay, I'll in, in the next session, I'll uh, implement some of these changes and it should be fine. Um, I did tweak my um, my suspension compression a bit um, to hopefully dial out some of the uh, understeer. And it did help for the second session. But uh, now the Vegas heat was in full effect. So it was it was an improvement for sure. But I still uh, wasn't feeling my best uh, at all. And you know, I tried to go to the grid late so I can start when the pack is halfway through the track because I was getting a lot of traffic. There was a lot, a lot of traffic on this track. And that was getting in the way of my clean laps. Yeah, I got it to 12, and I will say that a lot of that had to do with my driving. But I don't, I didn't have one clean lap in that first session. There was always something, um, and I, I, people were having trouble with passing a little bit. Um, they wouldn't know where to pass, or they would pass too late, or um, you know, when I was passing, they it was a if it was a high powered car, they wouldn't let off, and then it you know it'd be it'd be this whole dance, and then it would slow me down. Um, so I was trying to avoid that, and. There were two Corvettes that had the same idea. Now, one of them um, was really fast. And the other one completely just didn't know what they were doing, I, I think. You know, in terms of, like, navigating the turns. Um, but more so in the way of track awareness. I think that's... I don't. I don't care... If, you know, you're at day one of your journey or at day 1000 of your journey, like I know there are different levels of driving. I'm in no way anywhere near the top in terms of that. Um, you know, there's just a wide spectrum of driving skill and that's OK. But the one thing, the single most important thing that everyone needs to be 100 percent on is track awareness. There will be mistakes here and there. But to, this guy was very, very unaware of his surroundings, unaware of his own abilities. Um, he just wasn't understanding the fact that because he, he's in a Corvette, he can take off on us in the straights. But as soon as we got into any, any degree of corner, um, we, I was on his bumper, on his bumper completely, and he wouldn't let me pass. Or there would be areas, long stretches that you can't really pass. And honestly, because of his driving, it made me believe that maybe he was a little more of a novice, which made me even more nervous passing in risky zones because I don't know how predictable his driving is yet. Maybe he hasn't reached that either. So I was determined to at least podium, and I was hunting for time. But, you know, that old HPD uh, uh, friend came back, right, from the HPD gaze, the Corvette traffic. And, and I fully own that I wasn't at my best that weekend. But my fastest lap that session was 212. Again, right, it's the same as the first session, nothing changed. But the big difference this time is that my theoretical lap, according to my Garmin, was 208. And so what the theoretical lap is that it puts together your fastest sections to see how fast you could potentially go if you did all those sections the best way that you've done them the whole day. 
So what this tells you is that I was getting faster, but because I was encountering traffic in, in different areas of the track, I was putting down faster sectors, but not in the same lap because these cars were getting in the way, particularly this damn Corvette. And this one Corvette, and there were other cars too, but it would happen once and then you never see them or whatever it is. This one Corvette, it was a red C5. Um, the It was funny because the uh, the driver looked like Toad because his head sticked out higher than the top of the Corvette. Um, I guess he was just really tall. Uh, so it was funny to see him, you know, in front of you or behind you uh, sticking out of the car. But then it got really frustrating. And it's like, dude, like, you got to understand. You got to know that I'm catching up to you and you're slowing me down. I mean, you have to feel that. That is something that you feel. You don't even need to look. You feel when cars start coming up on you like that. You might flash the rear view mirror a little bit, but you can feel with when someone's coming. You can hear them, too. I mean, there are so many uh, signs, right, that you need to let this car through. You're holding them up. And so what would happen is I would go through the uh, set of corners into the back straight, and he would take off. Then we go into the other set of corners, and I'd catch up to him. I'd be on his bumper again. We hit the straight, and he'd take off. And it happened like that over and over again over and over again i was getting frustrated but i was like you know I, I i need practice i don't know this track so you know whatever just try to do things right even though you're going a little slower um but it didn't really i didn't improve i was still at a 212 i was still in fourth place um you know i i, I couldn't i couldn't do any any better uh, in the conditions out there and uh, I was really, really hoping that session three, there would be less people. It's a little later in the day. You know, people start going home or packing up. It is Sunday on the second day of the event. So maybe things are slowing down a bit. Um, so I was hoping that session three would actually give me a chance. And session three was at 1 p.m. And the sun was blazing. I always forget how hot the Vegas sun is. It's it's it's. I'm I'm so happy uh, I took a canopy because without a canopy it would have been rough and I would have been pink for sure. Now the session right before ours was nearly empty. I mean I might have counted like four cars out there. So I was like, okay, th there's a good chance, right, for for my session that I'll get some free space, I'll be able to connect some things and get a little faster. Nope. So I I get up to grid. Um, I actually get there a little late too. So I'm a little further back of the pack again, thinking sort of the same thing. Um, and it didn't work. They literally put like cars from other groups, from other run groups in this session. I mean the line was the longest that I had seen it the whole day, the, li the line to grid before going out on the track. It was the longest I've seen it all day. I'm like, oh, my God. Here we go. I guess just hope for the best. So um, we go out. 
my tires didn't want it anymore. I could feel them gumming up. Um, I just, again, I was still fighting the understeer. It wasn't really working for me. I wasn't rotating like I wanted to rotate. Um, and then once again, that damn Corvette gets in my way. I, I didn't even notice that he was in front of me. And I'm on his bumper again, and we're doing the same thing. And this is like by, I think, lap two or three. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm I'm getting, like, I'm, I'm in my head about this now. Um, and I'm trying to press him. I'm trying, like, I'm waving. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, move here and there. And it's just the same thing. Like, he's on the straights using his speed in the corners. I'm catching him easily, easily catching him in the corners. I'm like, oh, my God, this is not going to work. Um, but he's he wouldn't get it. He he didn't get it at all, and I honestly just lost it. Like I I was so I was so frustrated in my head that I was like, you know what, this is this is an uh, it's a futile exercise. Now I, I will say like half of that is me, right? Because if if I knew the track well enough and was doing well enough, I could probably figure out how to get past him, even in a risky way, and then just leave him behind. Uh, if I were to pass him like early going into the corners and then I'd leave him behind. But because I was having a hard time essentially even like learning the track because of all the traffic that I was fighting, um, I was getting caught up with this guy. And so I lost it. I literally I didn't lose control of the car, but I said, you know what? I'm just leaving. I'm done with this. This is this is as good as it's going to get. It's been a frustrating day. It's been a bad driving day. Um, we'll just call it here. And the only, the first three sessions count for times. So, uh, this was it. This was my only chance to improve. Um, and I didn't, and it was still exactly a to 12 again with the theoretical landing this time in two Oh sevens. So I knew, I know that it's there. Um, I just don't know. Honestly, there didn't seem like there were that many cars there, so I don't know how the next time is gonna go is gonna go either with traffic. So I'm really hoping um, maybe there's a better pool of drivers next time, or you know, have figured it out a little more, and therefore I drive a little faster, stay on the little faster side of the pack. Or I mean, it's because I'm in the open passing run group. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So I don't know. But I do need to improve, and I, figure, I need to figure out how to do that. So what are my excuses, right? We all have them. Racers' excuses, right? Time trials' excuses, driver excuses. My alignment specs didn't work out. This is true, right? They, uh, The decisions I made ended up hurting me. Um, I should have. I, I definitely needed the, uh, the 3.6 in the front. I think the, the 2.5 in the rear can stay. Uh, but I definitely needed more in the front. That is for sure. I was on two hours of sleep. Also, uh, you know, true. But it was definitely an excuse, and I was definitely feeling it. I think that was probably why I was getting more frustrated than anything. Um, I was I was irritable. Traffic was atrocious, right? Thanks, Mr. Corvette. And And fun story, I still don't know why. I still don't know why. I don't know if it was to complain. 
I don't know if it was to discuss. I don't know if it was to apologize, right? I don't know why. But when I was loading up my car, the driver of the Corvette started uh, hovering around me. And I didn't even notice. My wife noticed and told me, like, there was, there's this, uh, this old man, like, looking for you, I think. Like, he's, like, walking around. And I look, and I see him, and he sees me, and then he walks away. So I, I don't. That was a little weird. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I don't know why he did that. I would have been curious to talk to him. I did want to tell him, like, dude, like you gotta, you know, look at your mirrors, man. Do something, cause yeah, this that's not okay. Like, um, but I didn't get to tell him that. The tires were on their sixth event, also true, but this one's a soft one, I would say, cause I, I've I've taken uh the maxes to six and been fine like at big willow so mostly the reality here is that it's a new track um and then my alignment i think were the biggest factors those two are the biggest factors i never got comfortable with any corners on the track i think i was too fixated on the traffic i let that get to me and i shouldn't have I should have just, you know, done what I could in terms of practicing, you know, one or two corners. Just don't do not do it all. And there were challenges that I had never seen before. So there were two major braking zones that go through berms. Um, so you're, it's sort of the first time that I essentially have to, there's actually three that I have to, almost be braking and turning at the same time, which is sort of new. So I can't use all my brakes if I'm turning, right? You have to, you you essentially get 100% of one or 100% of the other, or you have to split it 50-50 or 40-60, whatever, right? But you have to essentially share between uh, brake and steering. And so that was new. And like breaking over berms and unsettling the car, um it's it's a little tricky uh i did smack my splitter at one point going over the berms that i was trying to keep as straight as i could through like a sh- portions of the chicane on the track um and and it was making me faster for sure um to learn to navigate those things but it was it was a bit tricky to figure those things out since i had never done it before now i did finish fourth place on the day uh, which puts me at second place for the season championship, but the leader is up nine points on me. So, you know, with essentially seven events left, um, it it could be tight. I mean, I would I'm I, I almost almost would have to place first for every event from here on out, which I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know Streets of Willow, I don't know Chukwala. Uh, Willow, I have little experience in, but at least those tracks I do have sim tracks for, so I can practice them at home. Um, so it is going to be a bit of a challenge, uh, to get first place and everything from here on out. That's tough. That's tough. Any way you look at it, but not impossible. So that's going to do the same type of preparation, just include some sim work. I think that'll actually improve, uh, my times significantly before even getting there. Um, and the next event is at Streets of Willow. So I will be looking for redemption there. Despite the uphill battle, I'm definitely still excited. I'm still, still sitting at second, which is cool. Um, I did get five points for fourth place. Uh, 
Um, so I'll take it, right? I'll take any points. Uh, I did take the 10 points at the snow day. Um, so now I'm sitting at 15 points with the leader at 24. So now I'm chasing him. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited now. This is a challenge, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, so now it's just a matter of figuring it out, getting a little more confident in whatever specs I decide for the alignment. But I think I know what I need to do and what changes I need to make for the next one to, uh, to give it a good go. Um, and then we should be fine. But yeah, I'm excited. Even talking about it now, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm already, I'm already looking forward to the next one. Uh, the only bummer is that, man, I have two cars to work on. The E92 needs work. I need to, I still need to register the E36. Uh, I need to figure those things out. Uh, but that is our episode. You can find us at 91octane.com. That is all letters, no numbers. Also, like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at 91octane. And if you want to send us any emails, info at 91octane.com. Also, shout out to everyone who has bought merch recently. I thought that was really cool. I don't really push it enough. I should probably say more. We have a shop where you can buy some merch to support the show. I try, we ha- I've tried to avoid going down the Patreon route because I want all my content to be available to everyone. You know, you can support in many ways, you know, just, just engaging on social media, liking, sharing, uh, send everyone you know, my, my reels and, and the YouTube video, just that goes a long way. Uh, but if you do want to support the show, uh, check out the 91octane.com shop. We also sell coffee as well in case you want any coffee. Uh, but I think that's all I have for today. So we'll see you next week. Good night.